Good morning, everybody. I hope you all had a great uh, Thanksgiving. We are uh, we're in party season. Uh, we've had Thanksgiving. We've had Friendsgivings, plural. We've got, uh, I know, graduation parties coming up and birthday parties. We've got life group Christmas parties and office Christmas parties and church Christmas parties. My kids have Christmas parties. We've got New Year's parties. We've got a lot of parties. Um, and, and for an introvert like me, uh, I'm exhausted already. <laughs> um, but this morning, we're going to talk about what it looks like to party like Jesus. Uh, in, in, uh, you like that transition? Um, in, the, in the passage of uh, Scripture that gonna, we're going to look at today uh, out of the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're in our, our Tables and Sinners series. Uh, Jesus compares his kingdom to a party, uh, to a banquet. And he lays out some expectations about what he wants his party to look like. Uh, and, and, and what he has to say is challenging to his first listeners, and, and I think it has room for uh, us to be challenged today uh, as well. But before we get to Luke, uh, this idea of the kingdom as a party, uh, this was an image that was familiar to God's people. Uh, this is something that they had been anticipating for hundreds of years, uh, that there was this expectation that when the Messiah came, uh, there was going to be a great party. Uh, when the Messiah came and established his kingdom, there was going to be a great celebration that, that all of God's people would join in. So um, look with me at Isaiah uh, chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. Uh, we're going to be reading from the Common English Bible this morning. Uh, it should be up on the screen for you. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of heavenly forces will prepare for all peoples a rich feast, a feast of choice wines, of select foods rich in flavor, of choice wines well refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the veil that is veiling all peoples, the shroud enshrouding all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe tears from every face. He will remove his people's disgrace from off the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. They will say on that day, look, this is our God for whom we have waited, and he has saved us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let's be glad and rejoice in his salvation. It's a beautiful passage. Uh, God promises his people that he's going to destroy death. He's going to remove their shame. He's going to wipe away all their tears. He's going to bring salvation. And when he does, he's going to throw this incredible party with gourmet food and fine wine. And all people from all nations, all backgrounds will be invited to participate. So that's what God had promised in his word. But over the years, this expectation uh, evolved, and, and, and people started to kind of put, uh, filling out the details of, of what this feast uh, would really look like. So, so by the time of Jesus, there were certain groups among the Jews who had, had taken it upon themselves to clarify uh, what the guest list would actually look like. So there's a section of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, for example, called the Rule of the Congregation that talks about this feast with the Messiah. And, and listen to what it says. Uh, it says, The Messiah of Israel shall enter, and before him shall sit the chiefs of the clans of Israel, each one according to his dignity. And then it describes how the chief priest and the Messiah will, uh, will break bread and, and bless the wine. and says, The Messiah of Israel shall stretch out his hand toward the bread, and afterwards shall bless all the congregation of the community, each one according to his dignity. 
But then it also talks about who's going to be excluded from this gathering. So listen to this. Everyone who is defiled in his flesh, paralyzed in his feet or in his hands, lame, blind, deaf, dumb, or defiled in his flesh with a blemish visible to the eyes, or, or the tottering old man who cannot keep upright in the midst of the assembly, these shall not enter to take their place among the congregation of famous men. So in short, at least for the, the people behind the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was this expectation that Messiah was going to come, he was going to throw this feast with all of his upright and pure and respected followers. They would sit in order of their dignity and that the disabled and the impure would be excluded uh, from this gathering. So hold on to that in your head as we, as we come to Luke chapter 14. Um, as, as Luke 14 opens up, Jesus has been invited to a meal at a Pharisee's house. Um, this is the third time in, in Luke's gospel that Jesus is joining a Pharisee for a meal at his, at his home. And uh, the first couple of times, it didn't go uh, very well. <laughs> um, Alex preached uh, a few weeks ago uh, about the first time in Luke 7, um, when, when Jesus comes to this meal, and in the middle of the meal, this sinful woman comes in, and she begins washing his feet with her tears and with her hair. And, and Jesus forgives her sins there, and the Pharisees are, are, you know, astonished by this. Second meal that Jesus goes over to a Pharisee's house, a few chapters later in, in Luke 11. And uh, Jesus does not wash his hands in advance. He doesn't do the ceremonial hand washing. And the Pharisees, again, are just astonished by this. And so Jesus goes off on them, and he calls them hypocrites. And he says that they're clean on the outside, uh, but they're dead on the inside. So first couple of meals didn't go too well. Here we are at a, a third meal at a Pharisee's house, and uh, maybe the third time is a charm. Spoiler alert, not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> uh, so let's read from, from Luke 14, uh, starting at, at verse 1. It says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. A man suffering from an abnormal swelling of the body was there. Okay, pause there. Already we can, we can see signs that this is not going to go well. Uh, Jesus is in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. This is an elite guy who, who's wealthy and, and respected and influential. And there Jesus meets this man who's got this swelling going on. And other translations um, tell us that this, this man had a condition called dropsy uh, or edema. Uh, which is a condition that causes your body to retain fluid, especially in your arms and your, your legs. Um, so whenever he would drink anything, his, his body would swell up. And one of the symptoms of this is that he had this unquenchable thirst. So no matter how much he drank, uh, it just made, it, it, the thirst didn't go away, but it just made his swelling worse. So back, back in this day, you know, people associated diseases like this with with unholiness. This was seen as a judgment uh, of God on this person. People associated dropsy in particular with being gluttonous or, or greedy. And so uh, for this man, in addition to having this, this physical pain that he was dealing with, he would have had this, uh, you know, he would have felt ostracized. He would have felt this sense of shame along with it. So what is he doing at this, at this meal? Um, commentators tend to agree that, um, that he's there 
on invitation from the Pharisees as, as bait for Jesus. Um, Jesus they, they, so they've, they've heard stories about Jesus healing people on the Sabbath, uh, which, again, according to their interpretation of the law, was not allowed. Um, so they've heard stories. They've invited this man. They want to see what Jesus is going to do. It says that they're watching him closely. So look here at, at verse 3. Jesus asked the lawyers and the Pharisees, does the law allow healing on the Sabbath or not? But they said nothing. So Jesus took hold of the sick man, cured him, and let him go. And, and the word there for let him go is actually better translated as released him. Uh, Jesus released him from this condition that he's suffering from, and he also releases him from the shame of this situation. He sends him away from this party where none of these people actually care about him. And then Jesus turns back to the Pharisees. Uh, verse 5, he said to them, suppose your child or an ox fell into a ditch on the Sabbath day. Wouldn't you immediately pull it out? But they had no response. Jesus is once again trying to help these people understand that, that what God really cares about is not arbitrary following of their man-made rules. What, what God really cares about is compassion and mercy and just basic decency toward, toward people who are suffering, people who are on the margins. Here's this guy who's been miraculously healed in front of them. I mean, they've just witnessed a miracle, and there's no sense of awe from them. There's no sense of joy that this guy has been healed from this condition that he's been suffering from. There's not even like any anger in here that we can see from, from them. Because I think as Jesus explains to them, they realize deep down that he's right. So instead, they just, they just stand there with blank expressions on their faces. So this is where, this is where Jesus decides to start teaching them some lessons uh, about what a kingdom party looks like. So we're going to pick back up in verse 7. Uh, we're moving on from the healing, and, and now everyone is starting to take their seats for this meal. It says, When Jesus noticed how the guests sought out the best seats at the table, he told them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding celebration, don't take your seat in the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could have been invited by your host. The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give your seat to this other person. Embarrassed, you will take your seat in the least important place. Instead, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the least important place. When your host approaches you, he will say, friend, move up here to a better seat. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. So the first rule for how to party like Jesus is to leave your ego at the door. Leave your ego at the door. Uh, back at this time, meals were a big deal, and where you sat at a meal was a big deal. Um, the, the tables would typically be arranged in like a U shape, and the host would sit down at the base of the U, and then the most honored guests would sit on either side of the host, and then from there it would branch out uh, in order of importance. So maybe you remember uh, when you were a kid uh, at school, your teacher would have you line up tallest to smallest. Um, so down, you'd have, at the end of one line, you'd have the tallest, so you'd have John Mark at the tallest <laughs> end of the line. Down at the other end, you'd have the shortest person. I won't speculate as to who that one is. Um, but in the middle, you'd have everybody else. <laughs> He's not here. 
Uh, so you have in the middle everybody else trying to like figure out where they stack up, you know, so you're doing this whole thing, and okay, I'm taller than you, and uh, okay, I'm shorter than you. If you're a guy, you do like the bam, like into the forehead, you know, and hit them. So you didn't do that? Well, maybe you were taller than everybody else. It was like the revenge of the short people on the bam. Um, all right, so another analogy is, is maybe when you're on the playground uh, at, at school, and, and you're playing basketball, and you got the team captains who are picking the teams, right? And, and, and they pick, like, the best athletes first, and then, you know, you get down to, like, the second and the third tier, and then you get to, like, the last people picked, which, you know, I may or may not have been in that, uh, that group <laughs> a few times. Um, but there you see, like, everybody knows what people's opinion uh, is the, of, of, the, of the people who are picking, of, of where everybody stacks up in, in the line here. That's kind of what's going on at the, at the table here. Um, the, the Pharisees are jockeying for the best spots. Um, you know, to, it, it's like tallest to smallest at the table um, where you're sitting. You could tell a lot about uh, a person just by, by seeing where they were sitting at the table. Um, so that's what Jesus sees the Pharisees doing in this passage. Uh, they're trying to get the spot. They're wanting to be seen as more important in the tallest to smallest Lineup, And so Jesus tells them this parable that makes it clear that that's not the way to think in the kingdom of God. Uh, at Jesus' party, at Jesus' table, we're told to leave our ego at the door. Instead of scrambling for the best seat and assuming that we deserve to be in the position of honor, uh, we're told to default to the worst seat in the house. Now, I think it's, it's easy for us to dunk on the Pharisees, you know, to, to say, like, we would never do that. Like, that, how could they be so dumb? Um, but honestly, I think if we, if we look at ourselves, examine ourselves, we'll see that, that pride is something that we all struggle with in one way or another. Uh, there's a, a scholar named David Garland who, write, writing on this passage, he says, this absorption with honor spans cultures and centuries. And we may confess in prayer that we are worms of the dust. We may sing about amazing grace that saves wretches like us, but really we love our little distinctions. So what are some of the distinctions uh, that we love? What are some of the ways that we're tempted to rank ourselves higher in priority uh, than other people? I think for some of us, it's tied to performance. Um, we find our identity in achieving a title at, at work or reaching a certain level of education, uh, getting to a position of, of importance. We perceive ourselves as more or less important in, based on, on what we've done. Um, so some of you know that I work at, at Biola University in the marketing department. A handful of years ago, I was walking down the walkway and I saw a, a professor coming in my way from um, the other direction. And uh, I'd, I'd interacted with this person via email before, but we hadn't met in person. So uh, as we were getting closer, I decided to, to stop and introduce myself. So uh, I say, hi, are you first name? And they stop and they, they look at me and said, yes, I'm Dr. Last Name. And I thought, yikes. <laughs> I know this person loves Jesus. I know they're, they're a great person. Uh, but in that moment, their knee-jerk reaction was that I had dishonored them. I hadn't shown them enough respect. I hadn't honored their place in the, the tallest to smallest hierarchy. I think that's 
Now, that's, a, that's an extreme example there, but there's a lot of subtle ways that, that we can all be tempted to do that as well. How else do we arrange ourselves tallest to smallest? I think for some of us, it might be possessions. What kind of a car do we drive? How big is our, our bank account or our retirement account? Where do we live? An apartment versus a condo, or a condo versus a house, a small house versus an elaborate house. How about the quality of our wardrobes? This whole like Instagram account, Preachers and Sneakers, you follow? So it's like dedicated to, to exposing these pastors who like show up to church like wearing $4,000 shoes and $2,000 hoodies and showing off like their status in that way. That's the kind of posturing that, that Jesus says has no place at his party. Another area of pride in comparison is popularity. How many friends do I have? How many likes do I get? Or physical appearance. How attractive am I compared to that other person? Uh, how do I measure up to societal standards of, of beauty? And so all of these are areas that, that we're prone to be uh, prideful. Um, they're all areas that we're tempted to, to measure ourselves against others um, and how we rank. And then we contrast that with the example that's, that's set by Jesus. Um, I, just, I just recently read uh, Gentle and Lowly, uh, which I feel like half of all Christians read last year. It was like the book. Um, but the author makes this point early on that there's only one spot in all of the Gospels where Jesus describes what his heart is like. Uh, and when, he, when Jesus summarizes what his character is, the words that he chooses are gentle and lowly, or gentle and, and humble. So one of the things that blows me away about passages like this is that here we have Jesus, who's, who's the king of the universe. Jesus, the creator of everything. Jesus, the source of, of all beauty and all goodness and all truth. He's more wise, more wonderful than we can begin to imagine. And yet when he comes as a human, he comes as this lowly, unattractive man who's living in this dusty, ugly part of the world before the invention of modern amenities like running water and electricity and, and comfortable mattresses. And he associates himself with, with a bunch of losers. Um, Jesus willingly humbles himself. He consistently chooses the worst seat in the house. So as we apprentice ourselves to Jesus, um, as, as we try to live our lives in the way that he lived his, uh, the first party rule from Jesus is to take the worst seat, to stop angling to be seen as better than others, and to leave our ego at the door. Okay, second rule for how to party like Jesus is to bless others with no strings attached. Bless others with no strings attached. We pick up the passage in uh, verse 12. Jesus stops talking to the guests and he turns his attention to the host of the party. It says, Jesus said to the person who had invited him, when you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. 
So back in this culture, hosting a meal was a way, a, a way of uh, building your, your reputation. Just like where you sat at the table as, as a guest uh, indicated your level of importance, uh, as a host who, who you know, came to your party, who was on the guest list, that was an indication of your importance. And so it was typical to, to invite people who were kind of at your level or, or higher on the social ladder. And then there was this expectation that your guests would uh, reciprocate or repay you with an invitation of their own. So, so meals could be this way of trying to, to build and maintain uh, your reputation and your place in the in crowd. And Jesus comes into that setting and, and he says, no, 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 that's, that's not how it works in my kingdom. Instead of trading, trading favors with people who look like you and who think like you and who are part of the, the same social club as you... Uh, Instead of, of having this comfortable click, invite the people who have nothing to, to offer you. Invite the people who can only drag your reputation down. Remember the people that we, we mentioned at the beginning who were excluded from the, the party and peop- the, in that expectation. Jesus says to invite those people, uh, the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, not just your friends and family. And Jesus isn't saying never to invite your friends and family. So your, your Thanksgiving dinner was not sinful, probably. Well. <laughs> Nick's was. Um, but Jesus' point here is that in our relationships as we approach people, uh, the question that we, we should ask is not what can I get from this person? Uh, what value does this person add to my life? Um, what joy can I get out of this person? What does this person bring to me? The question that we should be asking is, what can I bring to this person? How can I bless this person? How can I use what God has given me and steward it well in a way that that blesses other people and and benefits people who are excluded and on the margins? And again, Jesus is our perfect example of this. As as we've been seeing throughout the the Gospel of Luke, Jesus repeatedly uh, seeks out people who have nothing to offer him. He continually seeks out people who can only bring his reputation down, uh, tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and sick people and poor people. And ultimately, Jesus goes to the cross um, after he gets denied by even his, his, his close friends. So Jesus had nothing to gain from us, um, and we have nothing to offer him. Um, if, if we use this banquet example, we don't even bring a, a bag of chips to the table. Um, the kingdom is not a potluck. Jesus supplies the entire, the entire feast with no strings attached. Titus uh, 3, 3 through 5, um, captures this, this well of what we bring to the table versus what, what Jesus brings. It says, We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and slaves to our desires and various pleasures too. We were spending our lives in evil behavior and jealousy. We were disgusting and we hated other people. But when God, our Savior's kindness and love appeared, he saved us because of his mercy, not because of righteous things we had done. So Jesus gave himself uh, for us with with no strings attached. And again, as his apprentices, as people who are are seeking to follow him, what does it look like for us uh, to give to others, to bless others with no strings attached? One of the things that we do as a, as a church community, as, as Mercy Commons, um, is especially at this time of year, 
uh, is to give financially to, to other ministries and other churches that are doing some of this hands-on work with, with people who are on the margins. So Megan is my wife. She's also the church admin. And uh, the other night, she was like writing out these, these checks um, to some of these ministries on behalf of the church and, and was just saying this is her favorite part of the job uh, is getting to do this. Um, so we give money as a, as a church community to, to churches in, uh, in Nepal and in India to local ministries like OC United and, and Solidarity and um, um, others, I know. Um, but we've also partnered over the past year um, with a lot of local ministries as well in and, and, and different ways to serve the community. So as life groups, we've, we've given groceries to families from Richmond Elementary School where the principal identified for us families who were in need. Uh, we've, we've hosted events for uh, swim teaching, swim safety training, um, and serve the community in that way. Um, we've supplied during the height of the pandemic meals for, for some of the, the healthcare workers at, at St. Jude. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that, that we as a, as a church community uh, try to do this. But how can you be doing this as, as an individual? Um, and that's one of the questions that I, I just want to invite you to, to ask God to, to lay a person or people on your heart, uh, especially at Christmas time. Um, ask, him, ask him to, to highlight for you some people and some ways that you can bless others with no strings attached in the days and the, in the weeks ahead. Okay, so Jesus has uh, he's confronted the guests with the first rule, which is to leave your ego at the door. He's confronted the host with the second rule, which is to bless others with no strings attached. He's healed this man. Everybody is feeling a little awkward and uncomfortable. And so we've got this guy. My favorite guy here is in uh, verse 15. He cuts in to try and break the tension. And he says, when, it says, uh, when one of the dinner guests heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. So this guy's probably an Enneagram 9. He's, uh, he's the peacemaker here. He's feeling like the tension in the room. He wants to resolve it. So he, he essentially says like, hey, you know, speaking of food and of meals, won't it be nice one day when we all get to join in the Messiah's banquet? And Jesus says, you know, it's funny that you mention that because I have uh, a story to tell you about that. So we'll pick it up in verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time uh, for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guests, come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they all began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five teams of oxen and I'm going to go check on them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married so I can't come. When he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the city streets, the busy ones in the side streets, and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. The servant said, Master, your instructions have been followed, and there's still room. The master said to the servant, Go to the highways and back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Okay, so if the dinner hadn't been awkward enough already, Jesus, Jesus takes it to the next level right here. So in this parable, God is the host who is throwing this big party. He has invited Israel to be uh, uh, 
a part of his, his family. He's, he's invited them into a covenant. He's promised them a kingdom. And they have RSVP'd yes. Uh, they said that they wanted to be a part of it. And so now Jesus is like the servant in this parable who has arrived and he's telling people, the banquet is ready. The kingdom is here. It's time. But instead of joining the party, the Pharisees are rejecting his invitation. They're like the guests in the parable who are insulting the host by saying that they've got more important things to do with these lame excuses. If you look at a minute at the, at the lame excuses that the people in the parable give, the first guy says, I just bought a farm and now I need to go see it. Uh, and, and Kenneth Bailey, he says that this would be like saying that I just bought a house over the phone and uh, now I need to go check it out. That's probably a bad real estate move, right, Jeremy? <laughs> Hashtag Ask Jeremy. Second guy says, I just bought five teams of oxen, and I'm going to go check on them. So again, this is like uh, buying like a fleet of work trucks on, on Craigslist and saying, okay, yeah, I just bought these. I'm going to go see if they, if they run, if they start up. It's just a bad excuse. And then the third guy, he doesn't even ask to be excused. He just says that he's on his honeymoon, um, like he couldn't have seen that coming. Um, but with each of these excuses, the, host, the, the guests are essentially telling the host that they've got more important things to do. Uh, they're insulting the host's honor by saying that these things are um, higher in priority than, than this banquet that they've been invited to. So that brings us to the third and final rule for how to party like Jesus, which is don't let anyone miss out, yourself included. Don't let anyone miss out, yourself included. Jesus is warning the Pharisees here that they are at risk of missing out on the feast that God has prepared for them. And he's trying to help them understand that this feast of the kingdom is open to all people, especially to the people who are on the margins. Uh, his banquet is, is open to all the people that the Pharisees wanted to exclude, the poor, the crippled, the defiled, and the impure, the Gentiles who are in the back alleys uh, and, and the far highways. It's open to people like the man with, with dropsy that they had just invited as, as bait for Jesus. So one of the lessons here is, is for us to not be like the Pharisees. Don't miss out on this invitation that God has extended to you. Don't let other things come in um, and take priority. If you, if you look at the excuses in the parable, they essentially boil down to, to three categories. Possessions, work, and family, or another way is, is success, stuff, and sex life. Um, all those can be good things, um, but we have to resist making those in, into idols, into the most important thing, um, because they're nothing compared to the feast that we're invited into. Um, C.S. Lewis, he famously wrote that, uh, that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. So Jesus doesn't want us to, to miss out on his invitation. He wants us to see that his party is so much better than any other priority. And then the other lesson here is, is for us to take God seriously when he says that he wants his house to be filled. Um, a few years ago, I, I went to probably one of the most extravagant events that, that I've ever been to. Um, it, was, it was 
for a work conference, um, but it was uh, for, for Adobe Max. So it's this, this annual conference uh, in LA of like 15,000 artists and creators and graphic designers and lots of like snooty people and creative people. And, um, but on, on one of the nights of the conference, they have this thing called the Adobe Max Bash. And it's just this crazy feast. It was at the LA Coliseum, like around that area. Um, but just like filled with food. And there was a private concert at the end from Beck, who is one of my favorite musicians of all time. So actually, I don't know if Joey's here today, but Joey and I went together to this thing. And we arrive, and it's just like piled high with food. There's just like table after table, a buffet kind of like, I don't know, paella and pupusas and banh mi sandwiches and, I don't know, grilled meat and grown-up mac and cheese, and oh man, it was so good. And then there was like this dessert land area that was just like like glittery Twinkies and like pyramids of, uh, I don't even know, like cupcakes and tarts and all this stuff. And then there was just like all these art installations, like this giant gummy bear made out of thousands of little gummy bears. I mean, it was nuts. It was catered by Wolfgang Puck. It was, it, it was cool. But uh, the problem was that they had not planned for the transportation uh, well enough. So the conference was by the Staples Center, but this event was near the Coliseum. And so for people like me and Joey, who live locally and had a car, we could get there in plenty of time, and we got there when this thing started. But for, for everyone else, they, just, they didn't have enough shuttles to get people there uh, from the one location to the other. So for like the first couple of hours, it was just dead at this party. Um, so Joey and I, we're going like, we're getting like firsts and seconds and thirds. And I mean, it was, it was amazing. But, but after like a couple of hours, we're like, where is everybody? Like, there's all this food. There's all this stuff to see. This, this is epic, but there's nobody here. Like, they got to get people in. And, and I think that's the picture that Jesus wants us to have of, of his kingdom. Um, that there's room. There's, there's so much food at his table. Uh, there's, there's an abundance of joy and of mercy in his presence. Uh, and, and Jesus, like the servant in the parable, is saying there is still room. There's still room. There's still room at God's party for more guests. I think for me, it's easy to kind of think of the Christian faith as a set of ideas that we need to convince people about, um, a set of practices that, that we participate in. Uh, and there's truth to all that. Uh, theology is important. Apologetics is, is important. But I think one of the reminders for me from this passage is that God's kingdom is like a party. And, and God wants his house to be full. And we get the privilege of inviting people into that party. Uh, a few years ago, like right around this time of year, it was part of the Christmas season, we were challenged from the pulpit here to, to reach out to our neighbors with an invitation. So Megan made a whole bunch of cookies. We filled up all these plates to, to walk around to our neighbors. And we just went around our apartment complex knocking on doors. And uh, one of the doors, like they opened it up just wide enough to take the cookies and say thank you and shut the door in our face. <laughs> but at one of the doors... Uh, Megan struck, a, struck up a conversation uh, with one of our neighbors uh, and ended up inviting her over to tea that next week. And, and they sat down and, and they had tea together and the neighbor was asking questions about church and about Jesus. And um, 
over the years since then, they've formed a friendship and actually formed a friendship with, with several of the folks here in, in, in the community. And, and this, uh, this neighbor of ours has come to church. She's been through, through Alpha. She's still on a journey, and, and, and we love her no matter where she ends up on, on the journey. Um, but I just want to issue that same invitation and challenge to us uh, today as we, as we enter the, the Christmas season. Who can you be reaching out to with this invitation uh, to, to God's house, to God's party? We don't want to let anyone miss out on the invitation. Uh, there's still room. Band, you can come on up. Um, so in, in a minute, we're going to go back to worship. Um, but after we, after we sing, we're going to take part in, in communion. And communion is a meal where we celebrate Jesus uh, as being the one who, who perfectly modeled each one of these things here, each one of these things that we've talked about today. Jesus left his ego at the door. He humbled himself. Even though he was God, he, he emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death on a cross. And that's what we, we celebrate with the bread. Jesus chose to bless us with no strings attached. Um, we had nothing to offer him, but what he took from us is, is the, the power and the penalty uh, of our sin. He did that through the shedding of his blood. And Jesus, through his, his work on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, he offers us this invitation to his banquet. Communion is an anticipation of the banquet that we will have with him at the, at the end of the age. It says in Revelation 9.9, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. If we accept that invitation, um, if we accept that free gift of grace, then we, we get to participate in those promises that we read at the beginning. And I want to close by reading those again. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe tears from every face. He will remove his people's disgrace from off the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. They will say on that day, look, this is our God for whom we have waited, and he has saved us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let's be glad and rejoice in his salvation.